This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 360 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, our fox hunting segment. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Equisketch, EasySignsOnline.com, and listeners like you. This is our monthly fox hunting episode, and this week, Glenn and I are going to talk to two folks from the Newmarket Middletown Valley Hounds, which is a hunt in the um, Maryland mid-Atlantic area. We'll get into detail about that. They, they cover actually quite a bit of territory. So we're going to have their ma- uh, one of their joint masters of foxhounds and their huntsmen. And so we're going to go into detail about what their hunt is like, what they're all about. And we are going to do a product review. Glenn's got some techie geeky thing because Glenn right. does techie That's geeky what I things. Do. I also have a Kickstarter pick of the week again. You do? Yes, I do. So Is it as cool as the, the mag belt I, from I, last week? No. <laughs> We'll find out. That's all coming up on today's show. Welcome to the Stable School, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. Bring you the news through hell or high water While using their tails as their own fly swatters So sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I'm Glenn the Geek And I'm Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Helena. How are howdy, things Glenn. up there in Rhode Island in the middle of summer? Middle of summer is wonderful. It's a great time to be living at the coast. It's a very busy time. And um, Have you got... been down on the beach every day just sunning yourself? And You know, I have had... It's been an extremely busy, 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 busy time from the middle of June until to- today. It's been full of family, which is wonderful. So, so you haven't been down on the beach getting a suntan in your bikini? Um, no. No. <laughs> We've been down at the beach, but, you know, wrangling kids and blankets and giving tours and stuff, which is really my favorite thing to do in the summertime. And, um, but yeah, so we've been down at the beach. We've been over to Newport a couple of times. And I saw been pictures from yesterday you were over at Newport. Yes, yeah. my cousins are in town. When you come from a big Italian family and you're an only child, your cousins are... You grow, we grew up, you know, we all grew up together. We, you know, basically live a couple of blocks from one another. So they are like siblings and they live down in the Carolinas. I don't get to see them very often. So we had um, nine guests here Whoa. for a couple of days. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, it's a mix of kids and adults. And it's really, I'm just right in my element when that happens. So we, we I took them over to Newport the other day. and You are got, lucky to live so close to Newport because Newport's one of my favorite places. Well, Jennifer and I had our honeymoon. We went to Newport, Rhode Island. It really is. Yeah. If you're listening to this from any other part of the country besides New England, if I assume if you live in New England, you've been to Newport at some point. But if you haven't, it is so worth it to go. People who, one of the things I love about Newport is that it's full of boat people. And boat people are very, very much like horse people, okay? I don't even want to say the difference is like horse people's, you know, main athletic equipment has a brain. Boat people are on the ocean. 
And the ocean has a brain. It, it really does. does. It does. It really yeah. does. Um, but they have the same kind of passion, you know, for their equipment, for their boats. We have for our horses. And they spend more money than we do. It's one of the very few sports. <laughs> they really do. And they're, you know, they're gearheads because yep. <laughs> their gear keeps them alive. Our gear keeps us alive. They have a great respect for the capabilities and the challenges of the ocean. We have a great respect for the capabilities and the challenges of our horses. There are any number of things you can do on the water with your boat. There are any number of disciplines you can ride with, with your horse. So there are a lot of similarities between the two sports. So I, you know, I just go into the city with this, you know, inherent respect for the people who are in the marine industry. Um, and of course, it's just a lot of fun to do something that doesn't smell like manure for the day. <laughs> well, and of course, Newport's known for its mansions. You have to do the mansion tours. And then also the uh, the Tennis Hall of Fame is in Newport. Yep, which they just completely re Oh, really? Oh, my God. It's awesome. Yep. Oh, wow. Grass courts, new building, beautiful. Yeah, we really? and the, the, one of the other things they have in Newport, and we've been to quite a few of them, is the festivals they have there. They're always having fest. They're always having a party for something. It's so yeah. the, the place is just hopping, and you know what? They even have really good stuff in the winter now. It, it's just completely a year-round destination. And the other big thing, um, which I didn't even know about until I moved here, in at the end of the summer or in late August, they have the Newport Coaching yes. Days. They call it, and it's a tribute it's, a, it's they have parties and black tie events and all that um and it's all around the coaches i.e driving horses from you know the turn of the century the gilded age so they really they um shine the spotlight on horses and carriages which of course is a big deal to me so Co newport coaching days if you google it you'll find it it's put on by the newport preservation society which is the same organization that maintains the mansions and the tours and all that David Saunders, who hosts our driving radio show once a month, who's a coachman for Gloria Austin, will be there with Gloria. They're bringing their, uh, one of their coaches up and all the horses, and they'll be there for those days. It's her first time coming up to the Newport Coaching Days. So uh, and she's one of the uh, biggest coaching drivers in the world, has driven on every continent, uh, has driven a coach on every continent, except, I think, Antarctica, which is kind of hard to get them there. So yeah. um, <laughs> We'll forgive her for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have fun coming up. We're not talking about coaching today. We're talking about fox hunting. Yay! It's a monthly fox hunting episode. And right after this commercial, we're going to come back with a couple of guests that were referred to us by a listener of ours, Angela Bailey, who I know has been listening for a long time. And she sent us a note, didn't she? She did. She said, you guys have to talk to my friends. <laughs> no, she actually, she was very eloquent. And she said, I think it might be a great episode for the Horse Radio Network for Stable Scoop if you talk to um, Allie and Kate from the Newmarket Middletown Valley Hounds. Alistair, um, he goes by Allie, and Catherine Byron, who is one of their joint masters. They are coming on to talk to us today about their hunt and um, what's unique about it, what's fun about it. And you know, it will just, you'll have to listen because I, I, they're a great bunch. They're a really great bunch. And I love the fact that I might be able to, you know, catch a ride and go uh, out with them. And this is in, if anybody knows their map, this is in the middle of Maryland uh, near a town called Frederick, uh, right to the west of Frederick, I would say. And their territory is, uh, is pretty big. And I'm sure they'll talk about that too. Yeah. This is the New Market Middletown Valley Hounds, right after this word from one of our sponsors. 
Jamie and I have been raving about the Equity Flex and Fork and Shake and Fork for months now, and some of you might be saying they are just saying all those nice things because they are getting paid to. Well then, let's hear from some other people about what they think. Here is Flex and Fork user Eric Bates, Pasifino owner from Kentucky, on their sturdiness. I've been using the Flex and Fork for almost a year now. I looked it up on the internet as being a quality-made fork, and that's what I was looking for. I had already replaced two or three, you know, the manure forks that you would get at a farm supply store, and I wanted something of, of good quality that would last, and this, this has just been more than I could ever ask for. With the shaken fork, you save time and money by just using this motorized fork every day. Here is Leslie from Horse Nation on how much bedding she is saving using the shaken fork. It really does. It, it um, helps you sift through, you know, so you're not throwing out as much. I think uh, uh, Equity says that it, the forks um, probably save you a dollar a stall uh, per day in, in between bedding saved and labor, you know, uh, time you're saving, and, and I, I believe them for sure. And then there is our terrific listener, Aubrey, who cleans barns for a living on how much time she saves with the shaken fork. It's funny because you have to kind of slow down when you do it just because you have to let the fork shake for a second. And so it kind of took me a little while to say, okay, just slow down because I tend to do them a little manically anyway just because I have so many to do but you do them faster. Even even though you're physically moving slower, you're doing the stalls faster. But a couple yeah. of the barns that I do use sawdust, and it's amazing how fast I can go through those barns. And it's pretty much cut down half, and I'm using so much less shaving, so it's going to end up uh, saving a bunch of people a bunch of money of the barns that I do. Okay, you've heard them. It's not just Jamie and I saying this. What are you waiting for? Go to EquityMFG.com and get yours today. EquityMFG.com. You will thank us every single day. Welcome, Kate, to the Stable Scoop Radio Show and our monthly fox hunting segment. We are happy to have you. Um, you are one of the joint masters of the Newmarket Middletown Valley Hounds. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, it is. Okay. How long have you been with this with this uh, hunt? Um, I've been with the hunt uh, off and on for a number of years. Um, uh, my parents actually hunted with um, Newmarket when they started 51 years ago. And, um, uh, so my family's been involved and, um, I've hunted and then had to step away at some time to do other horse things. And then, um, I've been back and now a joint master for seven, this is my seventh season. So wow, two years. How'd you get roped <laughs> into that role? <laughs> <laughs> we'll convince you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so, you know, the life of a master is a uh, is is a challenge sometimes. Um, but you know, somebody needs to do it, and I believe in the sport and the tradition, and I grew up in it. And so, um, while I I may uh, sometimes wonder why I'm doing it, um, mostly I'm thrilled. I mean, I, I actually am thrilled to to be doing it, and it's it is a challenge. But um, I think it's something that's really important um, to the state and to the horse world and um, to the hunting world. And so here I am. 
And we're, we're glad that you're here because you know what? Masters don't become masters unless they have a really deep passion for what they do. You know, it, it, it carries you through the day, carries you through the challenges and the rewards are never ending. So we have, um, we also have with us, um, now please, I'm going to butcher your name, Allie. It's Alistair, is it Storer? Yes. Oh. Okay. And we call you, everyone calls you Allie. Can I call you Allie as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine, yeah. And you are the huntsman for Newmarket Middletown Valley Hounds. How long have you been with the group? Uh, this is my second season with Newmarket. So uh, this is my second year with them. And you hunt fox in your territory, yes? <laughs> yeah, we hunt foxes uh, exclusively at the moment. Um, we do have coyotes coming home, but we're fortunate enough to... Uh, We've seen very few and far between the nose, and we're uh, very fortunate with plenty of foxes. And, and with that accent, you obviously grew up in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Eastern Shore, boy. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Sounded <I'm> like sure. <laughs> it. <laughs> I've been to the Eastern Shore. I don't know about that. So um, tell Eastern us a little bit Shore about... Island. <laughs> Tell us about the territory. Uh, one of the most interesting things about the different hunts in America is that the territory can be extremely different, even from, from area to area within a particular state. Um, what's it like to hunt through your particular area? Um, we have a, a mix of territory. Our eastern territory is uh, much more open than our western territory. Um, and we obviously encompass not only Maryland, but we also have uh, West Virginia as well. And uh, West Virginia can be uh, a lot more grassland, while East is more crops. Um, and obviously we have a spattering of woods and stuff as well. Um, and West Virginia obviously is still, it hasn't got the encroachment of uh, Maryland. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we have that variation going on. Plus, we're in that Kai State corner over here at Middletown. Um, so we have West Virginia, even Quad State, you know, West Virginia, Pennsylvania coming in from Hagerstown, Maryland, and all that. So we have, we have lots of variation. Which is a lot of fun. It keeps it, the diversity keeps it exciting. You never know what you're going to get on any given day. Although you probably know a lot more than those of us in the field. <laughs> That's what makes it exciting. I don't want to know what's going on. I just want to grab some main and go. Um, Kate, what do you, um, how, tell us a little bit about the field and, and your subscribing members and uh, the hunt as a, as a social riding group. Not necessarily the social activities, but um, what's the makeup of, of your field and how often do you go out? Um, we, uh, we go out twice a week. We go out Thursdays and Sundays, and then we have some by days. Um, we try to take advantage when we can of, uh, federal holiday Mondays. Um, and our field is definitely, um, a lot of variety to our field. We have everything from, um, members who are event riders, you know, um, intermediate event riders, to a few horse show people, you know, maybe they do a little horse show, amateur horse showing on the side. Um, we have some people who are trail riders who hunt with us. 
Um, and we have, you know, lots of kids. Actually, we have a, a pretty good connection to our local Pony Club in particular. Well, both Frederick Pony Club and Shenandoah Valley Pony Club. Um, Grace um, Parizo, who is my joint master, she, her kids are very active at Frederick, and her husband um, is a joint uh, DC at Frederick. And um, then I'm actually a graduate A from the Shenandoah Valley Pony Club, so I try to keep our foot in the door and do some teaching and, and keep Pony Club involved as well. Um, and juniors, we also have juniors who are not actually Pony Club kids, but 4-H kids and things like that. And then um, we have um, adult amateurs that, you know, some people who really haven't even ridden that much before. Um, they started adults. Actually, my husband started as an adult rider um, uh, somewhere between the age of 40 and 45 by the time he, he did his first hunt. And he had only started riding the spring before that. So um, we really have a pretty good smattering of everyone. And we typically have a first field um, uh, that jumps, a second field that um, comes behind the first field. So it goes at a pretty good pace to try to keep up. And then um, we'll offer a third field slash hilltopper field for um, less experienced riders who, you know, want to just get a, an introduction to things and also an opportunity to get green horses out and, you know, with the goal being hopefully everybody, you know, improves with their riding and their hunting and, and wants to move up. But, you know, that's not certainly a requirement. If they're happy in the third field, then, then that's all right. That's where they are. So we try to accommodate everybody that we can. You know, hunting in Maryland kind of go together. You guys have been hunting since like the 1600s in Maryland. It's, wasn't it one of the first states that really started hunting here in the United States? First areas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, in fact, uh, you know, then some of our territory is certainly a territory that, that George Washington and others would have been hunting um, as well in the in the western, um, you know, western Maryland area, uh, West Virginia as well, because uh, we have territory that goes almost all the way south to um, towards Charlestown in West Virginia. So, um, yeah, between certainly Maryland and and the other side of the river, we um, we we've, we're trying to keep that sport going. <laughs> <laughs> and you're at the edge of the mountains there, right? Yeah, and Allie probably has some thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, how's that? I mean, do you get to ride up into the hills? I mean, do you do some hilly hunts? We do, uh, and that's what makes our territory quite fun is if you want the flat and the mediocre, you come to our eastern meets, and if you're ready to rip it up on some hills and some more challenging territory, you come out to our west meets. And coming from over the pond and growing up in the mountains, I do prefer the more mountainous stuff. Um, but you see better hound work and everything else. Tougher to keep up, but uh, it, it, uh, it's nice to have the variation. So that's a that's actually begs the question, well, what type of hounds do you have? And um, for those of us who don't really know very well what, type of hounds or the, the hound breeding and how that relates to the kinds of territory because it does. Can you give us a little taste of, of what you deal with as a huntsman and how you breed your hounds and select um, certain hounds to go out based on the territory? Yeah, I mean, at the moment with, uh, we've got about 20 couple hounds counted in couple, which is uh, two, so we've got about 40 hounds in kennels at the moment. <laughs> and um, 
we uh, we're predominantly at the moment a, a crossbred pack, which is uh, if people want to look it up, the, a crossbred foxhound is a little bit of a, a mix uh, of breeding. Um, most of ours are American with some uh, English foxhound blood in there. Uh, we're actually bringing some Penmeridale blooding in as well. Penmeridale, which break it down, worked out as being a breeder hound, which was bred specifically for Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Delaware. Uh, it's a lower scenting hound. Um, it, it, it can, the hound can have drive uh, in speed, but it actually <laughs> it has a lower uh, um, scenting capability to, to stay with the quarry. Uh, an English hound, because back across the pond is much wetter, the scent lies thicker. Over ah. here, the Penmeridale hound and American hounds are used to a drier climate, so they deal better with the drier climate uh, and with the heat, which doesn't help the uh, your quarry scent, your fox or your coyote, with a hound hunting it by scent. Um, you need that lower lower uh, scent and capability. So um, we, I take out 18 and a half couple, um, more or less, uh, uh, if, if you're able to go hunting you go hunting um but uh yeah we we're uh our hounds are very happy very biddable um which comes from the crossbred of the american line and meridales as well um and you know you just want a hound that wants to hunt and stay with a quarry um and not necessarily be like a greyhound where you may fly out the country. Uh, there are other packs out Colorado with 30 plus acres and can just gallop all day. Uh, right. We don't in that predicament. So, uh, you know, we have small fixtures, so you need a hound where you can stop it and it's just okay with being stopped and everything else and all, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, at the moment we're, we're predominantly a crossbred pack uh, with, with a spattering of American and Fen Meridale in there which with the Penmeridale being bred for this region, you know, there are a lot of packs around here that have Penmeridale and they were bred and they worked for this, you know, they've been around for a couple of hundred years. They work for this region, specifically because of the woods and the hills. They have a, a big voice on them, um, unlike necessarily an English hound where you have to be right up with them. A Penmeridale pack, you know, you can take nine couple of hounds out. I think we've got 20 couple of hounds out. Um, they make a lot more noise. So, yeah, that's where we are at the moment. And you have puppies every season? You breed your own as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's, we usually have a litter or two um, every year just to keep numbers in the age of the pack right. You know, we swap with other clubs and stuff. Um, you know, different hounds work for different people. So it's a little bit like a jigsaw. You take a piece out and you know, trade, trade it out like, you know, and do different stuff and uh, just try to get it, get your pack where you want it to be in um, producing the best bolt for your members to, you know, be able to see hounds hunting and run and gallop and, you know, be able to produce this for that everybody enjoys. Excellent. And I know, I know we're going a little bit off on a tangent, but I find this absolutely fascinating. How soon... Um, or at what age, typically, when your puppies are developing, can you, um, or your your younger hounds, can you tell what um, 
what part of the pack they're going to be best in or what their job is going to be, what their particular, their individual talents are going to be. At what age do you start to say, yeah, this is, this is going to be a good hound for my pack or eh, maybe not? Um, usually from, you know, the, the first year of life, they're, they're either out with members, learning about just life in general and then come back and then they hunt from a year old onwards. So usually from like two up to three, four, five, um, by the time they're three and four, they need to be a crucial uh, team player. Um, otherwise, you know, you're like, yeah, you need to move on. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, one year to get going, second year, let's get you really settled, three and four, you and five, you need to be the bulk the bulk of the game um, and, you know, pulling your weight and proving your worth and being out there every day. Got it. I do have a question. Kate, do you do you go to Huntsman R Us or something in Great Britain to find them? Because we have never talked one that isn't from Great Britain somewhere. Um, no, thankfully, Ali brought himself over here so that we didn't have to go there to find him. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ali, yeah, is there actually, any huntsman left in England or in Great Britain? Us. I feel yeah. a business model <laughs> That's coming right, on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over here. There certainly are. Actually, uh, a good friend of Ali's was here um, hunting uh, for several years and actually just went back to the U.K. to hunt. So, um, you know, it's kind of nice that we can trade across the pond a little bit. Um yeah, but luckily for us, Ali was here. He was um, a first whip at Blue Ridge for a number of years and then had gone on to hunt a few other packs um, in the in the U.S. and Canada. And um, we had been fortunate enough to meet him and know him when he was at Blue Ridge. And so when um, Robert Taylor um, decided that he was going to retire from hunting our hounds and concentrate just on Goshen Town, um, we picked up the phone and Talk, try to talk Allie into coming down to Maryland and um, and hunting our hounds because we really hoped and thought that it would be a good fit. And I think that it definitely is. It's a very good fit for us, at least. I hope that Allie feels the same way, but it's definitely a good fit for our pack and our members, and we're just tickled to have Allie and his family. They're a huge asset to us. That's, that's wonderful. Now, speaking of being an asset, um, one of your members had actually contacted us um, and suggested we talk to you because you had some success at a recent hound show. Tell us about that. We sure did. And I'll give, I'm going to do the specifics over to Allie, but, you know, just talking about what Allie said is we had um, uh, two years ago a very nice um, pack of hounds. And I'm going to let Allie give you the details on how that works. And, um, and we had an idea last year that she was going to be, in particular, this hound's going to be special, although I'd have to say that her litter itself is, is actually pretty special as well. And um, so we had an inkling that maybe we were on to something, and this year definitely uh, brought that to fruition. And, um, and I think Allie should give you, give you the real update on that. Cool. Oh, do we still have um, Yep. Okay. Yeah, you still have me on it. Um, yeah, uh, the letter uh, uh, Robert Taylor uh, sent the, uh, the the mother of 
that these hounds that run up to the Green Spring, which are uh, at Towson outside uh, Baltimore, uh, to use one of their dogs. And anyway, we landed this litter, and um, they came out very uniform. Um, you, you, there's six, six in the litter, and you can tell they're all related. The, the gene pool is fantastic. You can't, cannot get really if, if if you know like horse racing stuff you look at a pedigree you go wow it's all there and that's how it is with this pedigree of these hounds um you obviously look for hunting traits and everything else in the lineage back which both george Hahn, huntsman before robert and robert did uh and then confirmations i mean you, you, hounds horses any athletes Confirmation is everything. You need to have the right confirmation for it to be able to succeed. And um, these gentlemen were able to arrange, um, obviously, there's some luck involved as well. But, you know, the knowledge is there on paper that the gene pool is correct. And then the rest you leave, leave down to the grace of God. But they, they came out very nice and we were... Uh, Fortunate enough last year to go to Bryn Mawr and shoot this one hound widget did very well. And uh, a year on with a bit down two, she had a year to mature. And uh, as Kate said, we've had a gut feeling that we were on to something. And um, it came fruitful this year, uh, able to produce it to the high uh, conditioning and turnout that she was able to get, go all the way and uh, for all of us, able to uh, win Grimmar Grand Champion the show. Well, congratulations. You know, the one thing I think that would be surprising to people who have never been involved with hunting at all is how much how much time and effort and is put into the hounds. You know, it's not just all out there running, you know, running around uh, jumping jumps and and drinking a lot of wine after. It's uh, There's a whole lot of time and effort put into the hounds. And that's a part that kind of, if you're looking from the outside, you see the hounds doing the work, but you you probably just think, well, you know, you, they, you, you don't think about the hounds as something that this much effort is put into. But I think you're, yeah. you're right yeah. about that. And I think that... Um, you know, those of us who are like Allie or me and our staff, we know it's all about the hounds. It's all about the hounds. And and that's not always uh, necessarily apparent. It's a little bit, I think, of a mystery to, to some people, too. Um, but it definitely comes down to the hounds. And, and you're right, the amount of time, effort, dedication that goes into them, again, by the, you know, the masters, the staff, the huntsmen, absolutely, and um, and also, um, I think um, the cooperation also between huntsmen and hunts to put their heads together. You know, when you have a nice hound and you want to you breed it, you you know, there's a lot of cooperation, and people always have lots of thoughts and and advice to give, and are very happy to share. I think that's the, probably the best thing about the community is there really happy to share their hounds and their hounds' success. And people don't just sort of sit in the corner and hold on to what they've got and not tell anybody. Um, you know, they're, they're happy to, to pass lineage along and, and pass hounds along and, and offer their thoughts and experience. And 
that way everybody in the sport, I think, profits by it. And, and you know, nobody just sort of hoards anything. They're very cooperative. It, it is a very um, welcoming, all-embracing sport, I find. Yeah. It's, you, you, you don't, you want to share what you've, what you've got, you know? It's not like you have to. You, you just kind of want to. Um, yeah, and it's so, a little bit beyond bragging. So, yes. I mean, actually, I'm sure there's bragging. But at the same time, <laughs> like, like Allie said, you know, it takes, you know, it takes years. Our, our hound that did so well, she's got Potomac blood in it, and that's years of Larry Pitt's experience. And she's got our county blood in her, and that's years of their experience. And George, our a prior huntsman, his experience, and Roberts and, and Sam Clifton from Greenspring, and, and, and Sam's uh, hound goes back to the Duke of Beaufort. And so, um, you know, it's just a, it's a huge um, network that everybody's really able and, and willing to, to share with. And Helena, I just want to ask one other thing before we wrap up here is, you know, it, I think the other misconception, too, is that you have to be you, you have to be a you have to have a parent that has hunted in the past. It, you have to know a lot about hunting to go out and try it for the first time. And all of that's not true. You guys are always looking for new members, right? We absolutely are. We absolutely are. We love getting new members, as a matter of fact, because I think it reminds us um, how fortunate we are. Um, and things that you might almost take for granted, you you suddenly, uh, you know, get, get shipping up to reality again. So we love having people come out. We actually are, um, our hunt, I think in particular, is very friendly to um, inexperienced fox hunters and, and sometimes inexperienced riders as well. And you know, we have uh, people coming out in Western saddles. You know, we're while we love, of course, and people love to be very traditional um, in their attire, you know, we tend to be a little bit more relaxed, especially because we want someone to be comfortable and have fun their first time out or their first several times out until they decide they make, you know, want to make a commitment to it. Cause it is a commitment. There's no question about that. But, um, you know, we really want people to have fun first, and then we'll worry about all the rest of the. Then you'll the torture stuff. them later. That comes after. <laughs> yeah, they that's have. when you add. Exactly. This is what we call adding a degree of difficulty. Yeah, that's right. Just get <laughs> yeah. there first, stay on second, and then you know what? If you be neat and tidy, neat, tidy, and safe, and then mm-hmm. you can add the degree of difficulty about <laughs> what you're wearing. <laughs> exactly, that's... it's amazing. If somebody's been there like three times, and then they suddenly go, "Where can I get it?" packing jacket where can i get a stock where can i get this where can i get that and um you know fortunately we also where we're located have a great access to uh consignment tax shops in maryland and in virginia so that you don't have to spend a fortune yeah you do you probably have the best consignment shops in the country actually down in your area and you know what too everybody's always willing to share their stuff you know like oh yeah uh, from from trailers to stocks to uh, vests to gloves, you know, I, like you said, it's that sharing thing. You you you, it's just so supportive. So if you don't have yeah. something, there's usually somebody in your field who's willing to lend it to you. Absolutely, sometimes even a horse. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now, one other question along that lines: Did they they don't have to be members to come out? And let's say somebody just wants to try it once and has never done it before. It's on their bucket list. They can come out. There's like a guest fee, right? You don't have to become a member. That is correct. Yes, okay. we have a um, what's called a capping fee for someone to come out. It's um, seventy five dollars for an adult and twenty five dollars for a junior. 
Um, it's a lot less than an entry fee for the day at a horse show, um, which is kind a of A lot less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, and the best thing they can do is to reach out to, to contact the joint master or the honorary secretary. And then, um, you know, we can give them details and try to answer questions for them because everybody always has questions before they come out. And that is okay and that's expected. Um, so we're prepared for that. Um, we want to be able to set them up for success so they have fun on that, that time out. And, um, yeah, and even at this time of year, like, we have lots of hunt trail rides that are both fundraisers and opportunities for people, again, to go out and ride in a group across country to get their horses used to riding in company, especially, you know, if they're used to just riding in a ring. They want to start understanding terrain and, and territory and crossing streams and going down little banks and going over tops of rocks and looking out for, you know, just looking out for themselves. And it's a different kind of riding, but it's, you know, really very achievable with a little bit of time in the saddle. So so where can people find out more about your hunt and or possibly join? Um, we have a new market, um, Middletown Valley website. And um, if they Googled New Market Middletown Valley Hounds, that will put them there. And I should actually probably have for you the exact website, which I do believe is um, www.nm, as in New Market, dash mvh, Middletown Valley Hounds.com. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent that is safe for horses and those applying it, offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring food-grade fatty acids that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat sweet itch problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. And now it's time for our Kickstarter Pick of the Week, where I take a look at Kickstarter and find something either fun or silly or really stupid that people are raising money for. You know, Helena, you and I work hard. You work hard doing marketing for people, doing websites, doing graphics, you know, doing all of that, trying to scrape out a living and pay your bills up there in Rhode Island. Jennifer and I each work about 100 hours a week trying to keep the Horse Radio Network going and, you know, make a living doing this. And we're scraping by. And then there's guys like this Chase Trebit guy who just has this dumb idea, puts it on Kickstarter, and raises all this money. So he put this thing on Kickstarter called the Slip Cup. Have you ever paid, okay. played beer pong when you were in college? Yes, 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 yes. yes. I don't know the last time I played beer pong, but it's been a long time. Well, you know, beer pong, and I kind of have to do, do you think anybody doesn't know what beer pong is? 
No. Okay. So you have the so- red solo cups. At least not cups. our listeners. Right. <laughs> you our have the red solo Good point. You have the red solo cups that you usually play beer pong with, right? And because those are the ones college kids can afford. And they, you put a little bit of beer in the bottom or whatever alcohol, and then you're trying to, to put the ping pong ball in, from across the table into one of the cups. And when you do that, the opponent has to drink what's in the cup. Well, this guy by the name of Chase always thought it was disgusting that you have this ping pong ball that lands on the floor. And all the time, you're chasing it around the corner of this usually fairly disgusting place that you're playing beer pong. And then you're taking it and you're throwing it in a cup and then you're going to drink out of that cup. So that bothered him. So he invented the slip cup and is on Kickstarter trying to raise money. You want to hear a little bit of the uh, video? Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I know. Through the... Hi, my name is Chase. That's Chase. And I'm one of the creators of Slip Cup. We created Slip Cup to take the mess out of beer pong while putting the fun back into it. Let me show you why Slip Cup is so great. Slip Cup does not change a single aspect to the game of beer pong. It only takes the mess out of it. The Slip Cup fits into 16 and 18 ounce disposable cups and prevents the dirty ball from landing in your beverage. It's designed to leave enough room underneath it to accommodate beverage levels of 6, 10, and 15 cup pong. After a made shot, just pull it out and enjoy clean beverage. So basically what it is is a cup that goes in, that's shorter than your original cup that goes inside the fits inside the original cup so that what happens is your alcohol is below the slip cup and but your ping pong ball goes into the slip cup you take the slip cup out you drink your alcohol you put it back in Simple very simple and it's like well, nobody invented that before well, it's doing pretty well. Apparently, there's a lot of drinkers in, this, in the Kickstarter audience because he's up to 3,000 backers, a total of $76,000 to manufacture wow. some slip cups. His goal was $70,000. He got that in a couple of days. He has 19 days to go. And uh, basically, so if you pledged $5, you actually get a pack of 20 of these slip cups. If you pledge $10, you get a, you get, uh, a pack of 20. So there were different levels there. And if you pledge $20, then you get uh, like four slip cup packs of 20. So it was pretty cheap, which is why I think people are doing this. And apparently other people have thought about the fact that the ping pong ball is going on the floor where the cat hair is, and then you're taking it up and just throwing it back. Now, usually... That's what I do with my, my English muffins. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? You're usually too drunk to even care, right? I mean, so well, it's not a problem. You don't even need to be drunk. You just need to be a little buzzed <laughs> to not care. Why are we working so hard when there's things like this to be invented and sold? Yeah, I know. Ugh. Yeah. I, you know what? People buy things. I know. Sometimes people just buy things. They don't even want to use them. They just buy them because it's a cool idea. It's there's just a, a, there's, cup and a cup. I think there's some like psychology <laughs> word for that. Like, I want to buy this just because it's cool and I want to buy it. I don't even need, I don't even have to use it. It's just so cool. I have to buy it. There's, I think there's some kind of like emotional attachment to that. By the way, in the video, they show Chase and he kind of looks drunk when he's doing the video. I just have to say, he looks a little stoned when he's doing the You know the why? Video. Because he's, his cup isn't <laughs> slipping out of his hand. He's getting every last drop. Drop. <laughs> All right. That was my silly one. Now there's another one. This one, you want to hear a little bit of this one too? Okay. Yeah. Let me just play a little of this one. Okay. Hello, Kickstarter. I'm Tim. 
A couple of years ago, I was in bed trying to get to sleep after a busy day, and I realised just how much of my life I wasted trying to get to sleep. On trains, on planes, in festivals, and in my own bed. I wanted a natural way to help myself get to sleep better, that fit in my busy lifestyle and didn't involve drugs or earplugs. This inspired me to create Cocoon, the world's first sleep-sensing headphone that helps you relax and sleep better anytime, anywhere. Audio is one of the most effective ways of helping us relax and switch off naturally. Whilst normal headphones get uncomfortable and hot, our patented comfort technology keeps the cocoons cool and comfortable, even in bed. Cocoon accurately tracks how deeply you are sleeping, using its EEG sensors. It then uses this information to adjust your audio as you fall asleep. This ensures your audio doesn't wake you and is better tuned to block out external disturbances. We realised that to ensure we had a quality product, we would need truly world-class audio. Cocoon's partnership with OnCube ensures that the high-definition Bluetooth audio sounds fantastic, making these great everyday headphones as well. We all have a natural sleep cycle. An alarm clock will wake you up regardless of when's best for you. Cocoon's intelligent alarm identifies the perfect time for you so you can start the day feeling alert and refreshed. The EEG sensors and app give unparalleled accuracy and insight into your sleep, helping you track and improve your sleep over time. Cocoon's packed down to the size of a book. The perfect travel. So basically, it's, it's smart headphones, and they have these uh, sensors. That if, when you get an EEG, where they hook up the little electrodes to your head, and you go to the hospital for that, or if you have sleep apnea or something, you go to the sleep center, they hook these little electrodes up to your head, and that's, uh, that's what they have built into these uh, headphones. So what happens is, it'll play the music a little louder until it knows you're starting to get sleepy, and then it tones the music down. When you're totally asleep, it takes the music away. And then when you have it set up like you want to wake up between 1 and 1.30, you give it a time range, and it determines, okay, he's sleeping less heavy, he's starting to wake up a little bit, let's do the alarm now, as opposed to when you're at a deep REM sleep. So, right. you, you, yeah, so it is really kind of a cool idea. Now, I don't know if, they're very flat. They fit over your ears like regular headphones and over the top of your head. They look like headphones. They're kind of flatter than the headphones I'm wearing right now, which are big and bulky. I don't know if I could still sleep with headphones on my head. I'm not sure. Uh, they have pictures of people rolling around and sleeping, you know, on a normal pillow with their headphones. I don't know how that would be. You'd have to get used to that, I think. But now this is it. They wanted to raise a hundred grand, Helena. Mm-hmm. With twenty-one hours to go, they have seven thousand seven hundred and seventeen backers for a total of one point seven million dollars. I would. Do, I, it's bleh. yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> Yes. $1.7 million they've raised. It's, you know, this is as simple as the, as the, as the slip cup. Um, it's a very simple concept, you know, noise reduction. Many years ago I had, um, you know, you call it smart headphones. Uh, I had an Audi station wagon and it was the first time I had owned an Audi or a fancy German car. And one of the things I absolutely loved about it was the faster you went in the car, the louder the stereo would go. Oh, yeah, which Music. seems like that's pretty simple, right? <laughs> yeah, and then you would slow down and the audio would decrease. And I thought that was just the coolest thing. And so that was the beginning of my love affair with what I call feedback software. You know, it's they now call it smart software, smartphones, smart headphones. Um, the fact that they, that these things can tap into 
human biological feedback versus, you know, the mechanical engineering inside of a car, this can actually tap into the human engineering is wonderful. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't want my technology to do too many things for me. I don't want it to live my life. But this is a very simple case of how do I get more sleep? There's so much clutter and there's so much chaos in the world around us today that you absolutely do need a device like this to cut that down. So I, I think there's some- I can see this re- on airplanes, especially. Yeah, uh, Wouldn't that be nice? Anywhere. Long flights. And airplanes, yeah. on trains, um, yep. if you're waiting to commute someplace, whatever. You know, obviously there will be people who like use it to tune out the world when they really shouldn't, but- there's a lot of craziness that's going on out in the world that should oh, be Oh, it's better out. than, uh, you know, cocaine for that purpose, you know? It's Absolutely. <laughs> it's This is a healthy drug. prescription drugs. It's a healthy drug. And it does use, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, you know me, I'm super, like, hard to impress when it comes with new gadgets and gizmos. But this one does it for me. 189 bucks is what they're costing uh, on the Kickstarter. I'm sure there'll be more than that when they actually come out on the website. But uh, it's definitely funded. Uh, they got uh, 1700000 million. They were hoping for 100000 So they'll be in full production, I'm sure. And, it, you know, the video goes on to explain more and more about it. But I just thought, wow, that was, there's a success story right there. The company's name is Cocoon. It's K-O-K-O-O-N. Cocoon EEG headphones. I'll put a link to it in our show notes as well. But there's my two uh, Kickstarter. One kind of silly and the other one, uh, you know, could come in handy. You know, it would be interesting if you combined what you talked about with the car. With the electrodes on your head, that way when you're starting to get sleepy and you're about to sleep drive, it cranks up the volume of the radio to full blast. It wakes you up. I like that. See? You can't sleep drive that way. That's what it should sleep do. Drive. <laughs> sleep drive. <laughs> All right. One more quick thing. Let's do our Tack and Habit segment. This week's Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom, creative and practical marketing services for small businesses. We do all kinds of small businesses, but we're especially helpful for equestrian businesses because we have over 15 years in the equestrian industry. You can find us online at sparkleandboom.com. And this week's uh, Tack and Habit product, I'm going to do a review because I've had every place I've gone and gotten it out, I've had people ask me about it. I have the Galaxy Note 4. Now, that's the big phone. This is a pretty good-sized phone, and uh, it's one of the largest Samsung phones they make, the Galaxy Note 4. Some people call it a phablet or or a a phone-tablet combination. It's not quite that big. But I've had a lot of questions about how I like it. It's an Android operating system. And it is fairly large, and I was a little worried about that too. I was worried that one, it, it, you know, that it would be hard to carry, uh, and that it would get in the way, and that I would, you know, notice it a lot. I love, love, love this phone. First of all, I'm getting old, so I'm half blind, and I can really see this phone a lot better. The icons are bigger. The the you know, the apps just look, everything is bigger. So when I'm reading emails or texts, I can actually read them now. I'm not trying to find, and especially when you're typing. And I use Jennifer's little iPhone, and I'm like trying to find the keyboard and the keys on there, and I can't type on the thing. So having a much bigger keyboard is so much nicer for me. 
I, you know, I've always liked Android, so that's not a problem. It just works pretty much like any other Android phone, so I'm not going to talk yeah. too much about that. Yeah. The, the uh, Two things about this thing. The camera's really good. One of the other complaints I've had about my other Android phones compared to the iPhone is Jennifer's iPhone always took better pictures than my Android phones. This is comparable, if not a little bit better, than Jennifer's phone, especially inside. You know how inside pictures with a with a cell phone just suck? Well, um, yeah. you know, this one's a little bit better uh, than the ones I've had in the past. Video is excellent, but then I think video is good on most phones now. So that, that's excellent. Uh, but the size, I love, love, love. Now, I would say if you carry your phone in your pocket, this is going to get in the way. Uh, I use a holster. I've always used a holster. So for me, it's no big deal, right? The holster's just a little bit bigger. Yeah. So that's not as big a deal as as if you carried it in your pocket, <laughs> you would notice that you have this. And I have a case on it too. Uh, I'm just one of those that drops it so, all the time. So I have a case on it. The other thing I love, love, love about this phone is the battery life. Every iPhone that we've ever had sucked on battery life. You get three quarters of a day at the most. This thing, if I'm a normal use, will last me a full day from four in the morning till 11 at night. And I'll have 40% left. If I, you know, I charge it every night. If I don't, I get it. I get to about noon the next day. And that's with average use doing emails, texts, phone calls. It just is great that way. The other thing that I like about Android over iPhones, and this is another reason I'm sticking with Android, is you can change the battery. So I go on I go on eBay, I buy a battery kit that includes a charger and two extra batteries for like thirty bucks, and I have three batteries for this phone. So I could go four days. Like when I'm going to a conference, I don't, I hardly ever charge it. I just change the battery out. Yep. So I have like four days I can go on the batteries I have, and it takes literally a, a half, 30 seconds to change the battery out. It is so easy to get the back off. Just pop the battery, put the new one in, turn it on, and you're good to go. It recycles. It turns off and on very, very quickly, uh, much quicker than any phone I've had in the past. I, so battery life is a big, huge thing on this thing. The okay. size of the screen, being able to actually read the damn phone and type on it, and you know, are just two of the biggest things. That, you know, it, I love it. I, I recommend it, and several people now have gotten them. They have a Note 5 now. I don't know much about the difference between the Note 4 and the Note 5. But uh, I, you know, I have the Galaxy Note 4, and, and I do love the thing. It's worked out well. I had it for about six months now. Okay, that's long enough for, for you to make a, yeah. you know, a educated and decision. And I've dropped it, and, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> I've dropped it enough, and it's still with me. So as it broke the screen, I'm still still here. So. I'm still here. Yep. Well, I, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I have a smaller, I have the smallest. Um, I have an Android as well, but I have a Motorola. Um, and Buck has one, also a Mo- Motorola, but of your size. And Grace calls it the flat screen because it's so big, <laughs> you know. But um, uh, but I do have mine in my pocket. So when I hunt, I put it in my saddlebag. But if I'm just going out for a hack, I don't always have my saddlebag with me. So I like to have it on my person, you know, like in my pocket. Um, I probably could have a holster, but that would interfere with like, I don't get some of my hips and, you know, bother me. So if you, you don't know, if you had the carrots, yeah, pocket, like if you have the carrots breeches that have the, uh, the phone pocket in them, these are not going to work. <laughs> it's just going to be too big. It won't fit. Uh, 
Yeah, the way you do, and you're you're pretty petite, so you're gonna notice a big ass phone in your pocket. I mean, yeah, uh, and this is a big phone. You know from his that uh, it's a big phone. But you know what? He's not as young either anymore, so he probably appreciates his big screen. Does he like his big screen? He loves his yeah. big screen. Everybody loves the big screen. I love the big screen. Um, but you know, the only reason I have the small one is because it, it's got to go in my pocket when I ride. And I think it depends what kind of things you do, too. If you're just talking on the phone mostly with it and doing some occasional texts, then a smaller phone is fine. If you're doing like I do and live on the thing for emails and, you know, uh, checking out uh, things on the net and surfing and that kind of thing, then a bigger screen, you appreciate it more. All right, that's my review of the Samsung Galaxy Note 4. Well, that's it for this week. Alina, where can you be found at? You can find me at flirtingwiththeworld.com. I split my time between Sparkle and Boom and Flirting with the World, but I'd love for you all to visit my blog, flirtingwiththeworld.com, if you're interested in, well, you know, life. <laughs> if you're interested in horses, fashion, and anything that has to do with the world around you, go visit flirtingwiththeworld.com for a little fun. And you know what looks terrific on my big-ass phone, Helena, is the Horse Radio Network app. Looks great on there. Works great on there. Go to the App Store, iOS, or Android. Go to search for Horse Radio Network. Download it. It's free, and it's easy to use. I've run out of steam, so that's it for me this week. That, um, thank God. <laughs> there will be more next week. Until then, True. happy scooping. <laughs> 